many thousands who listen to the podcast. We're in Acts 1, Acts chapter 3, 1 through 10. I say that in jest because it's just my mom. Hey, mom. Um, okay, so a uh, couple of things. When we talk about, uh, when he talks about alms, that is, that's money that's given to the poor. Um, things that, that you would give to someone who was begging or who needed help or whatever, that was considered, that's what alms were. And so, Here's this guy, um, crippled from birth, and every day uh, he was placed at this gate to beg as people were coming and going uh, in and out of the temple uh, for prayer. And so he was put right in the path of, of all of, of the Jewish people and put right in the path of them um, going and coming from doing their, their religious um, deeds from times of prayer and all that kind of stuff. And so um, he was in like a good spot to get money from people. And so from, uh, we don't really know uh, how long, but um, all we know is he was born uh, crippled from birth. And so let's just assume that the majority of his life, he was, uh, was brought there in order to, to get money for his uh, survival. Maybe it's for his, his family or whatever. Um, and so uh, three times a day, uh, all the, like they would, would go in for these times of prayer. So for three times a day, for no telling how long, uh, Peter and John passed this guy up. And they probably gave him money at different points or whatever. We don't know that. Um, but So three times a day, for no telling how long, they saw him. And for some reason, this was the day they were like, hey, let's heal him. Don't really know what it was. Don't know what, what clicked. Um, but... And, and I guess here's, here's one, one lesson that we see right from the beginning. Um, that there are people in our lives that we see every day. And oftentimes, for some reason, those are the most difficult people to minister to, to serve, to love, to... But, but I don't mean just like, like any kind of service or any kind of love. I'm talking about the, the holy... Um, Christ-like love and service that we are, are called to. And for some reason, it's like your coworkers, your neighbors, the people in your family or whatever, sometimes they get the worst of us, you know? Um, and, and so here's this guy that was a pretty regular fixture uh, in their lives. And so this is the day that they decide to, to take it beyond money. And for some reason, the people that are in our lives so consistently are often overlooked and they're the most difficult. And I don't know why that is, and I don't think it's just me. Um, and maybe it's because, maybe the people in your family, maybe it's because they know you better than anybody and so you just you can't fake it with them because they just call you on it or, or, or whatever. Maybe your coworkers just wear your nerves a little too much to be Jesus to them or whatever. Um, but, but the... the takeaway is is the same that we can't walk through life overlooking those that God has placed closest to us it's easy to do that 
But we can't do, uh, we can't. We, that's not why God has brought them into our lives. One of the things about um, our church that God has kind of formed um, over the last several years is the, is the, the strong conviction that, that nothing is random and that the relationships that God gives us are not completely random and just, you know, just happen to, to be there. We believe that God strategically puts you in a workplace and puts you in a neighborhood or puts you with roommates or puts you with, you know, a spouse or whatever, um, that all that is very, very, very purposed. And that the reason why God does that is so that your life can intersect with their life so that um, he can connect with them through your life. Now, maybe they're a Christian, maybe they're not a Christian, it doesn't matter. Um, It's like none of those things are random. And so one thing I I think right from the jump that we have to apply here is we have to think about who has God strategically and intentionally put into my life that is there so consistently that I tend to overlook them. And then we have to we have to re- refuse to overlook them. I mean, it's just that simple. On the bottom of the sheet, you usually get when you come in, and we have a little tear off deal, and on the back of it, it has uh, unified in prayer, specific things that our our whole church prays for each day. And I don't know how seriously you take that. Um, if you if you do that or not, I mean, there are honestly there are there are some weeks when I do a really good job, and there are some weeks when I don't. But almost, uh, almost every week, there's, a, there's one of those prayer items has to do with an intentional relationship in the, that inner circle of your life. Pray for a coworker, pray for your boss, pray for your neighbor, pray for your immediate family, pray for those you live with. There's always something on there that's trying to, to keep us prayerful about those that God has brought most near. And so here's this guy, and for some reason, this is the day. And, and I, believe, I, I believe it was the leadership of the Holy Spirit that, that like, red flagged them when this guy was there and he asked for alms and they were like, hold on. I think that the spirit of God, uh, I think that they were so connected to what he was doing and they lived, or, or on this day, they were so attentive to his leadership that when this, when this guy asked for money and the spirit was like, don't give him money, heal him, they didn't give him money and they healed him. Not they, but you know. And so there's another lesson kind of wrapped up in the other one. It's not only are we supposed to be doing to be attentive to the people that are around us and realize that those things are very intentional on God's behalf. We have to be so um, attentive to his leadership that when one of our coworkers is hurting, that we can read between the words. And then when, when one of your, like when someone that's in that, that group, someone that God has brought into your life, when you ask them how they are and they give an answer that you know they're wanting you to, to follow up, that you have the guts to follow up and ask questions about it. And we've all been there before where, where you ask somebody how they're doing and they're like, I don't know, you know whatever. You know. And you have that choice, follow up or move on. And so many times we just move on because we, we don't want to get involved. You know, we want to, what are we going to say? What are they going to say if we're like, well, no, tell, tell me what's wrong. And all of a sudden it's like, boom. And you're like, oh, man. There's worms everywhere, cans of worms open everywhere. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Here's this, this uh, story. I say it's a famous story, but I'm not going to remember a single detail other than this. Um, there was a woman uh, in New York City who was being attacked in an alleyway. 
and uh, she was attacked, and uh, I, I don't know if she was raped or robbed or beat up or something, but like, um, it was in this, this alleyway, and so the police, uh, you know, if you watch Law and Order, they had to interview everybody in every building, apparently. Um, and so they interviewed all these people, and they had like 25 witnesses who were in the, in the two buildings between the alleyway watching out their windows this woman got attacked. True story, 20, like 20-something witnesses. And so they're like, why didn't you help her? And the general consensus was, we didn't want to get involved. And tragically, um, that's how a lot of us live. So for some reason, we don't, we don't want to get involved, whether we're intimidated, whether we um, you know, don't know what to say, we're just completely fearful, or maybe, maybe we're just not paying attention. Maybe we're like, hey, how you doing? And somebody says something, you're not listening, you don't care, you're on to the next thing or whatever. And so being attentive to those around us, pretty darn important. And so our church, you know, there are, churches have different um, focuses, I guess. You know, there are are some churches that seem to to really zero in on um, uh, community service and like getting out in the community and all this kind of stuff and, and and we like we we try to do that, but our one of our big focuses, I guess, is the fact that um, if biblically the church is supposed to equip the saints for the work of ministry, then we need to be getting each other ready to go to work and ready to go into the community and to go and to live. And so, like, yeah, we're gonna. We're going to do stuff at homeless shelters, and we're going to help people. We're going to do those corporate deals, but um, we're also just trying to trying to get everybody prayerful and focused and equipped to be able to go to work. And when someone does open up, you feel ready to step in and to help them and to serve them. And that's so much of what we push for. That's what we want our community groups to be about. That's what we want Sunday nights to be about. I mean, it's about the glory of God. And it's about growing. It's about maturing. It's about all that stuff. But there's a purpose for all that. It's intimacy with God, but it's also uh, to be able to go and to connect with other people. And we're going to see like that in the story. And so that's a, it's a really big topic for our church. Is that reminder that the, the people that you're around, that's who our church is trying to reach. Um, one of the, the things that we've just are always trying to shake is the fact that, like, okay, y'all are a college church. It's like, no, we're not a college church. And then we moved to the college, so, you know. Um, but people always always ask that, and it's like, well, you know, I mean, and this has just become my standard deal is, is that we want to be faithful with whoever walks through the door. In our small groups, on Sunday nights, anytime, anybody that walks in the door, we want to be faithful with them. doesn't matter their age or their gender or their race or anything like that. It doesn't matter if they're rich or poor or whatever. Anybody that God brings to us, we want to be faithful and be responsible with them to the best of our ability. So that's one thing. But the other thing is that we've, we've had to really redefine what it means to reach people. I have to fill out this stupid survey thing, um, and uh, I have to send it in to the, the Baptist machine, and, and they have, like, all this, uh, yeah, I said it. Um, and I have to fill in, like, you know, our average attendance and our Sunday school attendance, and um, zero. And uh, then, like, our number of, uh, number of baptisms this year and, uh, you know, all these like, all, all these statistics and stuff. And every time we do it, I just kind of have to laugh because um, I don't laugh at that because it's, 
it's their way of like assessing what's going on. And so I know that numbers represent people and I'm on board with that. That's fine. But something that's really important to us at the ring is that we don't define reaching people as necessarily getting them into our building and into this room on Sunday nights and into our small groups. That if, if you are a part of our church and you go to work and you are equipped to accurately represent Jesus to your coworkers uh, or uh, to your family when you go home or to your neighbors or to your roommates or to whomever, if you are equipped to go in to do that and you are effectively living that life and you're connecting with them, then we are reaching them even if they never step foot here in this church, in this room, uh, even if they never come to our community group. And so there are some things we can quantify with numbers, but there's so much that we just have no idea what's going on. And so when people say, well, who are y'all trying to reach? And I usually just say, well, what do you mean by reach? If you mean who are we trying to get in the door? I say anybody, everybody. But if you mean who are we trying to represent Jesus to? I say anybody, everybody. So it always comes down to the same thing. Um, all right, sorry, that was a side tangent. All right, let's, let's look at this a little, a little bit closely, and here's where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you some questions. Um, look at verse 2. It says that a man who's lame from birth was being carried, and they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called Beautiful Gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Okay. Here's, here's the question I would like for you to uh, answer. Do you think it ever occurred to him to ask them to heal him? Do you ever think it, it occurred to the, the crippled man to, to ask Peter and John to heal him? Yes or no? You can raise hands or just blurt out. I don't know. It's not very organized. Exactly. Mumble. Okay, all right, let's, let's, assume, let's assume the answer is no, because he didn't, okay? Um, and even though we don't know, let's assume that, okay, why, why not? What do you think? Grace. Okay, Grace said that it would be a little bit selfish. You want somebody, hey, dude, can you heal me real quick? Um, okay. So maybe, maybe there was some humility that was there. What else? Do I? Yeah, he's been like that since birth. I mean, who thinks of that, right? Hmm? Unworthy? Okay. Yeah? Yeah? What else? Okay. Any other ideas? Mm. Okay. He was a phony. <laughs> Scamming him. <laughs> yeah, maybe he was scared. We, you know, there's all kind of, yes, sir, Trent.
Yeah. Yeah, maybe he didn't know who they were. So we could speculate for a long time as to why he didn't. All these are great, like great answers. And I think I, we probably all would put ourselves in that same boat. I mean, I don't think any of us would probably do that. But the bottom line is, like, we get, the things we don't have to speculate about is that he didn't ask him to heal him. He asked him for money. And, and so, and a lot of things you brought up are things I never, ever would have thought about. So that's why I like doing this stuff. That's why I like community group. That's why, I don't know, it's awesome. Um, but what about this? This was something that, that I was thinking about and whatever. We know that he, we don't know why he didn't, but we know that he didn't. What do you, what do you think that tells us about, um, about the way that he looked at the Jewish worshipers who were coming and going? Cash flow? I think that I think that one of the one of the tragic things is that here he is, um, and and he probably didn't know who they were. I mean, he probably saw them just as regulars, just like anybody else. And um, but they were these guys were becoming more prominent, and people more more and more people knew who they were and stuff like that. Um, I think that that another thing to consider is that maybe he looked at them as uh, givers, as being charitable with their money, which is good. But he didn't see them as worshipers of a God who heals. Um, and and that, that sort of um, leapt me from this story into the present day. Um, I think it's great. I think it's biblical. I think it is a reflection of God if Christians are seen as givers, as charitable, if when people have needs, they turn to the church, that when hurricanes happen, the government contacts the churches and says, we're not going to be able to do this without you. Um, I, I think that that is absolutely amazing. And so in one sense, the fact that this dude could have said, bring me anywhere in in the whole area, but he wanted to go to the gates of the temple. I think that's a good thing. And so I think that in our day and age, we need to be um, seen um, as a, 
you know, as the church, we need to be seen as um, people who meet needs. I think that's great. But there was something incomplete about it in this story, that they weren't seen as worshipers of a God who heals and who restores and who makes all things new. And maybe that's an unfair judgment from the text, but it's definitely not an unfair evaluation of where things are today. Um, The fact that we now have uh, a state government who looks to churches to help meet needs in the midst of disasters is great. And I think because of the response during Katrina, that has for a long, long time established that. Um, That's awesome but it's incomplete if people don't also look to us as worshipers of a God who makes all things new. Does that make sense? Um, and and I don't, I'm not, that's not an indictment against the, the state of the church now. I mean, I'm a, I'm a bride of Christ lover, um, and I love the bride just like I love my family. They're not always perfect. I don't always enjoy um, time with them or whatever, but I love them, take a bullet for them, whatever. And um, so I'm not at all like, like trying to bash the church. I'm trying to say this is what we've got to be working toward, that there are people, uh, those people, those relationships that God has brought to us, um, coworkers, neighbors, family, whatever, um, that, that need to know that you worship a God who makes all things new. There needs to be a, a completeness to the way that we um, are perceived in the way we relate to our city and our community and our culture. I mean, think about how phenomenal it would be if that's the way people looked at Christians who m- mash together, make up the church. If they were like, that's the group that helps us in a storm, that's also the groups that helps get our marriages back together. That's how we are uh, freed from addiction. Those are the people who, when I have a need, whether it's physical or emotional or spiritual, those are the people that I go to, that I can go to, because they worship a God who is alive and who is real and who makes everything new. That's what we've got to be going for. And so, like I said, maybe it's not fair to look at this guy and all that kind of stuff, but when you leap forward, um, we, we have to, to admit how awesome would it be for our coworkers, not only for us to have to follow up, but to get to the point where they begin to come to you. And it's funny because I, from talking to people and from hearing stories or whatever, there are people who just like, like, and some of you in our church get weirded out because you have these coworkers that just open up about all this stuff. And you're like, why do, why do people always open up to me? I don't understand. I don't understand. It's because they see something in your life that they feel comfortable opening up. And you know what they see? The God who makes all things new. Don't let it weird you out. Let God encourage you. And sure, you're going to get in those situations. You're going to be like, I have no idea what to do, and I can't believe they just said this. And I, what, I, Okay. Be encouraged by that. Because the other end of the spectrum is people who don't want to ever tell you anything because they don't trust you, because they don't want you to gossip about them, because they haven't seen any fruit in your life that would yield them to, to open up like that. Let's look at something else. Um, well, let me ask you this: how do, how, do, how do we fix this? You know, how do we how do we fix 
maybe the, the incomplete view that our culture has of, of the church. Now, obviously, we're not going to fix everything. But where do, where do we even start? Where do you start? Hmm. Yeah, okay. said maybe they would feel more open uh, if you were more open. Let's just write a book, folks. We'll fix it. See, the, all these things that we're talking about, I tell you something that, that I hope that you are encouraged by is that, and, and I'll hear, hear my heart when I say this, I just want to point it out, that none of these things that we're talking about are like foreign ideas to the things that we experience as a church. These are the things we talk about in community group and on Sunday nights. And these are the things that the Lord is leading us to talk about and to deal with and to push into. Um, one One of the things I love is when I read a book by someone that I respect, like a pastor, somebody that I respect, and he says something that we have already talked about. 
So I'm like, that's right. And not in like a, you know, any kind of way other than the fact that, that this is Jesus' church. And if we listen, he will tell us this stuff. And I hate when I read something by someone I respect and it just hits me like out of nowhere. I'm like, I've never heard this before. I cannot believe I've never heard this before. Like the first time I ever heard the, like, like the, the true like new covenant teaching explained, I was just so angry. Like I felt ripped off for like 20 years of being in the church and I've never heard it explained. The thing is I, I heard it, I was just, I never really like keyed into it or whatever. So I love it. I love when, when there's fruit of the fact that God is leading us and, we're, and we're, we're talking about this stuff and we're dealing with this stuff and we're not at our 25 year church birthday and have to be like, okay guys, we got to unpack. We got to start all over because we've whatever, you know what I'm saying? Um, so um, I don't know. I could all night, I could talk about that and I could piggyback off what everybody said, but, but I, I think everybody like really, I, I just sense that everybody is on board and, and understands um, the, the challenge. And, and the thing is, generationally speaking, um, there's a lot of powders going that, that are a part of the church right now. Um, there's a lot of books out there that are bashing the bride, but all they do is whine and point fingers and blame their pastors growing up and all this kind of stuff and whatever. And I'm all for, like, let's find out what's wrong, but let's do something about it. Let's not just sit around and talk about how, like, how the bride isn't really the bride. I'm like, whatever, come on. We got to, if it's going to change, we're going to be the ones to do it. And so we can either pout about it or we can respond. We can sit around and say, well, my coworkers don't like the church because of this and this and this and this. Or we can say, God's put me in their life to um, redeem their view of Christianity and of the church and of Jesus. That's, you can look at it that way or you can sit around and pout. And if you want to sit around and pout, then there's probably other churches out there for you than ours because we're not going to do that. And I'm not going to do that because I have plenty of people who will take me out back and beat me with a rubber hose if ever I get up here and pout and whatever. And so um, all that being said, let's look at verse 6. We're here all night. Look at verse 6. But Peter said, I have no no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. Okay? So, and I've talked about this before, and I'm not going to ask a lot of questions or anything like that. Let's just make this statement. They don't have any money, but they heal him. Today, in America, it's almost the opposite too many times that now now that we have silver and we have gold and we have multi-million dollar sanctuaries and we have giant budgets and we have all this whatever um we tend to just throw money at stuff and i'm not saying throwing money in into certain things into the right thing that's absolutely wonderful um in 2008 um our church gave 25 percent of everything that came in um, in, to individuals and families who needed help financially to get them over the hump, to get them through the month, to whatever, in different situations. 25%, that is ridiculous. Um, then another 10% went to missions. So 35% of everything that came in went out to directly meet needs. 
And when I say it's ridiculous, I mean it's the good kind of ridiculous. Um, most, most churches, the percentage is not like that. It's, it's, it's a lot smaller. And I don't say that to be like, look at our church, look how awesome we are, because there's enough church boasting going on out there. What I, the reason I tell you that is to say that our church um, strives to, when God brings us a situation and we're supposed to help financially, we, want, we, we do that in faith. This past year, not only did we give 35% away, 25 specifically in benevolent situations, we also overspent our budget by like $35,000. And so, so okay, so why, why say that? Um, our percentage was really high because we just, we gave and we gave and we gave. And we gave till it hurt and then we gave some more because we believe that God was calling us to do that. We believe that our first two years, we had a surplus of giving, which allowed us to stockpile enough to be able to help more in our third year. So we're pulling out of that reserve. But I say all that to say this. I'm not saying we shouldn't be giving money because I wholeheartedly believe that we, we need to do that as God brings it across our path. But here's, here's the deal. We don't, we don't give money and say, okay, later. That when we, when we give, it is the first step of a relationship with the people that we're giving to, to the best that we are able to do that. That we don't want to just be people who throw alms to the crippled guy at the gate and we keep walking on in. That we want to we give him money, but we also want to say, look, our, we worship a God who makes all things new. So let's hang out. We want to know you. We want to help you. We want to figure out how you got in this situation. And maybe we can help get you out of it somehow. We want, to, we want to love you. We want to know you. We want you to know Jesus if you don't. And those are miracles. This guy rising up and walking is a miracle. Someone being freed from addiction, miracle. Someone overcoming years of financial mistakes and whatever, miracle. I mean, like all these things go together. Um, we, we, got, we have to do both. And we have to push to do both. And we have to challenge each other to do both. Because we want to be able to give money and we want to watch lives changed. It would be a tragedy to reverse the situation. For them to say, we don't have money, but we can heal. And then to, the inverse would be like, well, we have money, so no healing. I, I'd like both. I'd like to continue to see God make things new. And if it involves finances, cool. And if it involves um, emotional things, cool. If it involves spiritual things, cool. So he stands up and he walks and he starts running. And then look at verse, uh, look at verse uh, nine. Well, look, go back to eight, actually. Leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. He's walking and he's leaping and he's praising. He's causing a scene. Okay. Um, and probably, I mean, wouldn't you? I would. Uh, and p- all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement and what had happened to him. And th- that's, that's the bottom line, isn't it? Like that's what, that's what we're going for. As worshipers of a God who makes all things new and heals physically and spiritually and emotionally. If it, if it involves money, awesome. If it involves anything else, awesome. It doesn't matter. It's, we want people, just like it says, um, 
and they were filled with wonder and amazement. We want people to be filled with wonder and amazement. We want those people, those relationships that God has brought, we want them to look at our lives and, and just wonder. Now, whether that is like a, like a miraculous wonder or if it's just a big question mark that pops over their head every time they look at us and they think that we're weird, it doesn't really matter. Um, we, we need people to, like, that's got to be the, the way that we relate. That's, gotta, that's why God has given us the relationships he's given us is to create wonder and amazement. But it doesn't happen by accident, you know? And when I was talking about that, it's intentional. If you're not praying, if you're not connected to the Spirit, you're not going to feel Him leading, and, and you're going you're gonna to miss it. I'm going to miss it. I miss it so much. Filled with wonder and amazement. Think about how, how awesome that would be. Think about the times and how awesome it is when it does happen to you because it happens. It happens a lot more than we realize. And so, I don't, you know, I mean, what do you do? I, that's, it's going to be different for you than it is for me. Applying some of these things we talked about, it's going to be really different. Let me read this, this to you, and then we're going to sing a little bit in response. And uh, I'm going to read it. Don't turn to it. Let me just read it to you. In Isaiah chapter 35, this is one of the, the texts that talk about like the age of the Messiah. And um, some of the things are going to happen when the Messiah comes and, and all that he's going to bring to the table. Listen to this. And this is the age, I mean, like, we're in it. This is uh, proof that Jesus is who he says he is. It says, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. I don't know what that is. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. So that's talking about a lot of big picture things. In the age of Christ, they're going to see the majesty and the glory of the Lord. But this is how it's going to happen. It says, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have anxious hearts, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Listen to this. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man leap like a deer. How cool is that? That guy that was at the gate like he was that dude from Isaiah 35. He's it's proof. The lame man shall eat like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. I mean, this is this is what the age of Jesus is supposed to look like. The proof that Jesus is who He says He is that all things are made new, that streams will flow in the desert, that physical healing will happen, that emotional healing will happen, where people who are dead will become alive, and you and I get to be a part of that. That Jesus looks at your life, he says, I trust you with this message. And there it is. How that fits into your life, that's between you and Jesus. And so we're going to sing some songs that kind of respond to some of these themes as we close out tonight. 
And let me just encourage you, I, just respond. Don't overthink it. Don't panic about it. Don't feel nervous about going to work tomorrow. Just sing. And there's, there's this quote that we talked about in our community group this past week, in the college group. Um, uh, Eugene Peterson says, um, I think he's actually quoting somebody else, but he said that it's easier to uh, act your way into a new way of feeling than to feel your way into a new way of acting. In other words, sing the songs. Go there. Don't, don't sit there and be like, well, if I'm not feeling it, I'm not going to do it. Because you know how it is. When you begin to sing, God begins to, to connect some things. When you begin to pray, God begins to connect some dots. Act yourself into a new way of feeling. and Don't, sit, don't expect to just feel your way into a new way of, of acting. It's good. Let's pray. And then we're going to sing. It's going to be awesome. God, we thank you um, for all that you've done. And we can't begin to uh, even scratch the surface, especially in our understanding and um, God, it's hard to believe that you would trust us with so much. But we know that you have. And we believe that you know what you're doing. You have changed us, and through our changed lives, you want to change others. And that begins with us loving you with all of our hearts. And as we love you, we begin to love what's important to you. And so, God, we want to, we just want to sing to you tonight and to pray tonight and to respond. And, God, we believe that you will, you will connect the dots for us that you will make sense of some things. You will bring all the pieces together. Um, we trust you. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up together. Mm-hmm.